So a few days before the 4th of July holiday, I flew to Michigan to try to talk to Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who's in the middle of one of the most precarious abortion fights in the country right now. I don't know. Who let him out? We did, but you're in charge, so get him in. All right, well, anyway, we did. I have to say it. Michigan's actually Ruby Kramer is a political enterprise reporter for The Post, and she's been following Whitmer for some time. The Democratic governor is facing re-election in Michigan. One of the issues she'll be judged on in November is her record on abortion rights in her state. She actually moved to protect these rights a year before the Supreme Court overturned Roe. Back then, a number of people called Whitmer alarmist. Now, she's viewed as leading that fight. And while she's leading this entire fight, she's also, you know, kind of navigating that same crisis as a mother. Um, she's got two young daughters, Sherry, who's 20 years old, and Sydney, who's 18 years old. They're both students at the University of Michigan. And we wanted to sort of try to spend some time with the family, get inside the room with them. We knew this was coming out, so was a gut punch. So was a gut punch, because I'm thinking about these girls. Yeah. These women, these young women. These ladies. My daughters, you know, I was thinking about From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi, in for Martine Powers. It's Thursday, July 14th. Today, we talk with Ruby about the singularity of Gretchen Whitmer. Ruby joined the governor in Michigan shortly after the Supreme Court's decision on abortion. She wanted to understand more about the unique presence of Whitmer and her family in politics. You see, Whitmer has this long reputation as a sort of pragmatic Democrat. She's one of just six Democratic women who are governors. And in a party being criticized for their lukewarm response to the Dobbs decision, Whitmer appears to stand out. I think Whitmer is one of the most interesting figures in this particular moment because she was just so kind of ahead of the curve on the entire thing. I mean, looking back, she started working on this issue basically a year ago when the Supreme Court first decided to take up the Dobbs case. We all were very much convinced that with the cases that had been teed up and with the way that the court changed that, this was a very possible, um, you know, outcome of it. So... And, you know, it's it's really easy now to like look back and say, like, well, of course she did, because we all knew where this is going. But really, I think we didn't, um, even though we got clear indications that this was a possibility all along the way. There was a lot of sort of shock and disbelief. I mean, this was this huge, momentous decision. And I think Whitmer was sort of ahead of it and unapologetically so pretty much from the beginning. She knew that Michigan had this, not exactly a trigger law, but they have an old law on the books from 1931 that basically prohibits almost all abortions, even in cases of rape and incest. And so back in last summer, actually, Whitmer started getting ready to file a lawsuit to try to basically strike down this law in anticipation of Roe v. Wade being overturned. Our legal team started working to figure out 
what tools did we have? What could we do if this was going to happen? And yeah. what were the repercussions for our state if it happened? You know, and the 1931 law, you know, was very clear that that's what Michigan could possibly revert to. So. And back then, even, you know, I think a lot of people said to her, oh, you're being alarmist. Like, we don't even know what the court is going to do. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, she she looks like she was actually quite prepared. Right. So she has this ongoing legal fight and she's trying to make sure this this 1931 law doesn't go back into effect. And so how did that that go for her after they filed the lawsuit? Where do things stand with this 1931 ban? So. Planned Parenthood also filed a lawsuit on the same day that Whitmer filed hers. And as a result of that lawsuit, the Michigan courts issued a temporary injunction to basically say this 1931 law is currently not enforceable. And so because of that temporary injunction, Michigan is still a state where women can access abortion care. But the courts still need to make a final ruling on that. And and. Separately from the sort of 1931 issue, there are organizers in Michigan who are currently collecting signatures to try to get abortion rights on the ballot and a ballot measure this fall. So Michigan is a state where the abortion fight is really playing out on sort of all these different levels. Fight, right? Like help. You know, you, you give people something to fight for, um, and it comes from the leadership. It comes from whomever is in a position to do something, and that's why. You know, we've got my lawsuit, we've got the Planned Parenthood ACLU lawsuit, we've got an effort underway to collect signatures and amend our Constitution. We have to pull out all the steps. And if we weren't doing that, people would feel more resigned and depressed and apathetic and angry. Um, I think we're still angry, but we've got something to fight for. Yeah, when I think about, like, the landscape of what's happened now that Roe has been overturned um, and what may continue to happen. I wonder how it feels for Whitmer in this moment where she is this relatively young, modern, pro-abortion rights woman leader in a pro-abortion rights state. And she's contending with this law that was written in 1931 by a bunch of male politicians from back then that it doesn't appear to represent the will of the people that she represents right now, right? Yeah, that is true. Um, Michigan, according to recent polling, is a state where the majority of voters don't agree with the Supreme Court's decision um, in Dobbs. And I think for Whitmer, I mean, you know, I think that they did feel some sort of vindication in their efforts to be prepared. But also, I think she's sort of feeling a little bit of the same helplessness that sort of her daughters described to me when I I sat down and talked to them, two young Mm -hmm. women who are now facing a totally different reality than the one that their mother grew up with. We're failing um, in this country. We're failing our young people. And this court, in, in, in one span of one week, from guns to climate to choice, massive setbacks. And I'm, as a parent, I'm just sick to my stomach about it. Meanwhile, she's also up for re-election. Abortion is going to be a big issue on the ballot that will probably sway the election results in one way or another and decide whether she gets a second term. And Michigan is just sort of like the quintessential swing state, really. Um, You know, very narrowly went for Biden in in 2020. Four years earlier, President Trump won that election in Michigan. And 
Whitmer is sort of on the front lines of this abortion battle, which essentially has been turned over to the states. But she's got this very calm sort of like crisis management energy about her that's sort of been with her through her whole tenure as governor. She's had two years of COVID. She's had crazy armed protests to sort of navigate in the Michigan Capitol. Um, I think in a sense, like she is just tackling this that the same way as as sort of a, a crisis to be dealt with through the tools of government. And she seemed very sort of like calm in the way that she was approaching it to me. Yeah. And you mentioned COVID and the response to her policies during the pandemic was very intense. And then she also had to contend with this kidnapping plot, right? Can you tell me a little bit more about what her time as governor has looked like for her, what she's had to contend with? Yeah. I mean, I I would start with the pandemic. She was one of the first governors to criticize President Trump's handling of the COVID-19 outbreak. I think the biggest threat to the American people It's the American president right now. And it's devastating. And I do not relish saying that. And that just sent a lot of attention um, her way and sort of the vitriol that comes with that. She was also one of the first to implement pretty strict stay-at-home orders, which were just not popular in the state. Today I'm issuing a stay-home, stay-safe executive order for all Michiganders. And it goes into effect just after midnight tonight for at least the next three weeks. And that's when these armed protests outside the Michigan Capitol started. Open your business now. Open the restaurants, open the bars, open the movie theaters. I know we can't control corporate America, but small business America needs to open up. Go to Kroger, don't put a mask on. I feel like I'm the only one there around wearing a mask. Defy her order by not doing it. It is not a law. She told you it's not a law. She had protesters outside of her house when President Trump sort of honed in on her and started tweeting things about Michigan. And I think from the White House press briefing room one day, he during one of these live briefings that he used to do, he called her the woman from Michigan. And I was talking to her a little bit about this and I was like, oh, that must have been sort of, you know, that raised your that raised her profile. And she said, you know, yes, but that's also when these death threats started. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when the harassment started. That's when the violence really picked up. It was just totally different. before I was singled out by the former president. I get them all the time. And right after that, a few months after sort of the armed protests began, the FBI said that they were charging several men in a plot to quote-unquote kidnap, hogtie, and execute the governor. They were going to put me on a trial and then execute me. It was an assassination plot, but no one talks about it that way. And that just, you know, became a huge story right away. The trial just ended this year. It just sort of continued on in the background for governorship. Ruby, how has... Whitmer's family reacted to all these really awful things. I mean, people were protesting outside of the governor's mansion. Um, Just really intense, intense stuff was happening at that time. It's, yeah, they're just, you know, Whitmer said. We're all kind of stoic people. I mean, honestly, my, my grandfather, my dad, me, 
I mean, we're all pretty stoic. And I think that's true. But there's like a level of comfort that they have with this that I think just really underscores what a present part of their life it's been. When there were people that were protesting outside the residence with AR-15s and this big float and lot, you know, loudspeakers and, you know, I felt bad for my neighbors. Like, it didn't bother me, but do you remember when they were out there and we all were in that one bathroom looking yeah. out the window? Because like, at the governor's residence, you can't really see in from the street and you can't really see out from the house, like to the street. It opens up to the back of the house. And so we all went into the public bathroom and we were looking out the window just to see. My husband and both girls and Kevin was with us too. You know, the girls, they were like, yeah, we were, you know, we were all in the bathroom cramped in there. And it's just, it's, it's really interesting. Um, They've grown up with it. Right. It's like normalized for them in a way. Yeah, it is. And, you know, Sherry, the older daughter said, if you weren't doing TV, if you weren't fighting this in every way that you possibly could, you know, I, I would be disappointed. I mean, she wasn't. If she wasn't on every Sunday show, I would be mad. I would be like, you you have this power and you need to you need to use it and you need to get out there, you need to use your voice. So it sounds like they're proud and they want their mother to use this platform, but they're also nervous, right? Whenever she goes anywhere, she speaks at something, she goes to a fundraiser. I don't know, she's vulnerable and that's kinda of terrifying. And with the kidnapping case, it's even more terrifying that people actually plot and you know, recruit for that kind of a thing. But I don't know. She, she's always, you know, been a po- my whole life she's been a politician. So it's yeah. not like it's public servant. Oh, sorry. <laughs> public servant. Um, <laughs> um, so that was Whitmer, by the way, correcting uh, her daughter when she called her a politician <laughs> and to say public servant. But yeah, I mean, I think this is just kind of normal in their family at this point. They're having these pretty intense conversations, whether it's about the kidnapping plot or abortion. I think Whitmer said to me, I try to be as blunt and upfront about politics with my daughters and about, you know, the family's life in it. And you could see that in the way that they were sort of talking through all these different things and talking through the abortion issue, too. I mean, Whitmer and her daughters are having these very candid conversations about, okay, well, what does it look like for us, you know, as two young women and to potentially be living in a state that does not have legal abortion access? You know, when that draft thing came out, I just told them, delete your period trackers. Um, You know, do you want to go and pursue long-term birth control? And, you know, Governor Whitmer has said that when she was a freshman in college, she was the victim of sexual assault, um, of a rape. And she's talked very candidly about that and about what would have happened if she had been pregnant. And, you know, now these are conversations that she's having with her daughter. So it's not some, like, kind of throwaway pat line about being the father of daughters. It's like, no, this is a governor who's sort of navigating this crisis in real time with her own family talking through pretty horrific scenarios. It, like, oh, okay, well, okay. Not, we I'm don't not, need to go there. No, I'm not, no, like, no, no. But, I'm not but, like, to be fair, I was hesitant because I am <laughs> gay. And so it just, it, it 
it never really was a decision that I was like, I'm sexually yeah, active. Like, it's, I'm not, yeah. Right. It's not a, it's not a thing that's right. on my mind all the time. The moment when Sherry was talking about whether or not she wanted to get long-term birth control. It was a conversation that started uh, after the draft opinion leaked in May. And at first she said she wasn't sure. And she sort of paused when she was explaining this. And I could see her sister sort of like reaching out, being like, it's okay, you don't have to go there if you don't want to. And I was like, what's going on? I had no idea. And and that's when she sort of brought up the scenario of what, but what if, you know, I were assaulted? Um, you know, I live on a college campus. Do I need to think about this? Could I be forced to carry a pregnancy to term that I didn't want? And, you know, I mean, that's a horrible possibility to hear anybody consider. There are people out there who would, you know, force me into, you know, God, yeah. conceiving. And so it's it's a scary thought. And, I've, you know, I've made the decision, like, I probably should get some sort of long-term birth control. One, because, you know... The way that this decision has been made it with um, Justice Thomas saying he would be interested in, you know, deciding about contraceptives, it's, I feel that I need to act now in order to prevent any sort of inaccessibility for me in the future. She was very open about exactly why she had decided to do this and what her thought process was. And I think that must have been very sad for her mother just on a personal level to hear and to listen to, but also that's that's the that's the hard reality we're talking about here. After the break, we ask Ruby about Whitmer's place in democratic politics and if she sees a future for herself and her family in Michigan. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial monarchmoney.com slash podcast. So Ruby, Democrats, including the Biden White House, they've gotten a fair bit of criticism within their own party about how they haven't been active and forceful enough in trying to protect abortion rights. Is what Whitmer has tried to do in her own state and her comparative outspokenness on this issue something that other Democrats are trying to use as a roadmap for this moment? I think, you know, there, it's hard for me to say what other governors in particular should be doing because we're all dealing with a very different situation in our states and very different tools. 
I think every governor, at least from a state level, is in such a different position that even if they wanted to use what Whitmer has done as a model, they couldn't quite do that. Like, for example, the governor of Michigan has certain sort of has a certain ability to say, okay, we want to to propose amendments to the Michigan Constitution that, for example, you can't do in Wisconsin. Um, So in a sense, like she's in a very particular situation. And so are all these governors, I think, in terms of just kind of pure political rhetoric and force and attention. There are plenty of people in the Democratic Party who wish that President Biden would act more like Gretchen Whitmer in this moment. Um, And I tried to ask her a little bit about this, but, you know, she was very unwilling to sort of express anything resembling criticism toward the president. Um, But, you know, I think if you just even look to when Whitmer started preparing for this, we're talking about basically a year ago, I think it would be fair to ask, okay, were other Democrats who could have been in a similar situation, including the president, were they also preparing for this year ago? Were they also making sure that they were ready for the day that Roe v. Wade was overturned? I don't know the answer to that. Um, And I think it's a complicated question depending on who we're talking about, but I do think it's a fair one. How do people in Michigan feel about her right now as she's running for re-election in her state. Do you have any sense of her approval rating or any polling? Yeah, I I think the most recent poll had her approval rating at 49%, um, which, you know, right around 50, pretty respectable. And I think what struck out to me most about that poll was the difference between Whitmer and Biden. Whitmer was at 49, Biden's approval rating in that poll was at 36. Wow. So, you know, while maybe people are overall pretty happy or okay with how Whitmer is doing. It is a nationally challenging climate for her to be running in. I think the the poll showed that inflation is a huge issue for voters. Um, gas prices, you know, I mean, it's not a good environment for Democrats. I think, I think no matter what, she's going to be in a very tough re-election battle with whoever the Republicans nominate um, in the primary. Yeah. And what do those, you know, that 51 percent of people in Michigan who aren't exactly happy with Whitmer, what do they say? I think COVID, the moment that she started implementing these state lockdowns was just this huge flashpoint, not just in Michigan, but it sort of spread and made her made her a national figure. But it made her like she sort of came to embody the stay-at-home order, the broad use of executive power, the shutting down schools, the shutting down businesses in a way that still really galvanizes a lot of people against her. We have employers here that are ready to get back to work. They have their manufacturing facilities running. And guess what? They don't have enough employees here because of the cruel policies of this governor. There's a Republican primary going on right now with five candidates to potentially challenge her for re-election this fall, all of them talk about the pandemic and the lockdown orders. And we were talking about leaving the great state of Michigan. We were looking at alternatives because we saw dysfunctional government. We saw draconian lockdowns. It's just still really a sort of hot button sensitive issue in Michigan. Um, And I think there's something about the way that she managed that crisis and did use sort of an unprecedented amount of executive power that really bothers people and 
in the eyes of a lot of people, did harm to the state, drove away businesses, drove away families, people who would have preferred to see a more lax sort of approach to handling the pandemic. And that's really the main point of criticism um, Mm -hmm. directed against her from the Republican Party. And I think it's a really potent one too still, or else we wouldn't see these candidates talking about it in the race against her. Ruby, how does Whitmer view her own place in Michigan? I mean, she was born and raised there, right? Has long ties to the state. How is she feeling about the future of the state, not just as a governor, but as a parent raising two daughters there? Yeah, I mean, before I met up with the family on Mackinac Island, I, I did go to a few events with Whitmer and I heard, kept hearing her bring this up and she was saying, you know, I really want my daughters to stay in Michigan, but I realize that if they don't have access to full rights, whether it's rights to their reproductive health or marriage rights, they will move elsewhere. And that breaks my heart to even say. And I was like, oh, is that, does it really, like what, she just kept bringing it up and she kept saying how heartbreaking it was to her. And I don't think it was until I actually talked to all of them together that I realized that she really meant that in a sort of literal way. Um, she really wants her family to stay in Michigan. Well, I mean, I know you've got I've lived here my whole here. life. I love this state. There's nothing more important to me than my children. And I want my girls to live in a place where they've got full rights, whether it's marriage rights or it's reproductive rights. You know, they, they deserve no less. And the people of the state of Michigan deserve no less. I think that the prospect that they could feel like they had to leave was really crushing for her. Um, And she even said, you know, this is why I need to fix this situation so that my daughters can, and, you know, other people too, can feel like they want to stay. I'm not just fighting for these two, although they're they're what motivates so much of the work that I do. I'm fighting for everyone in this state. Right. And as a parent, not as governor, as a parent, I would encourage them to go where they can live their fullest, truest lives. And that's why I gotta fix this. Because I want them to consider Michigan. Yeah. It doesn't mean that they'll stay here. I don't know if they'll stay. I, I want them to live their truest, fullest lives wherever wherever that, that takes them. But in order to make sure Michigan's in the running, I gotta fix this. What else can she do beyond what she's already tried to, to create an environment where they would want to stay? Or other people, too, not just her daughters. Yeah, I think it's I think there's only so much in her control, right? Like they can get this 1931 law potentially off the books. But then there is a Republican controlled state legislature that's already put forward a bill to basically outlaw Plan B and to penalize abortion providers, doctors uh, with prison time. So with Whitmer in office, that bill will even if it passes, will get vetoed. Um, She will certainly veto that. But if she loses re-election this fall, um, you know, who's to say that a a different governor would would do the same thing? So, you know, I mean, in that sense, her re-election is really a pretty existential moment, not just in her career, but um, in her family, too. 
Ruby Kramer is a political enterprise reporter for The Post. Rennie Svernofsky produced this story. It was edited by Rena Flores and Maggie Penman. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sean Carter. The kind of reporting you just heard, these deeply reported profiles of major figures in national politics, is only possible thanks to the support of Washington Post subscribers. Become a subscriber today and get the next year of news for just $40. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.